Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So a couple of big topics on uh, the podcast uh, this week, Con. Number one, when are internet platforms liable for bad speech? Big topic uh, coming up in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Question number two, is there an exception to the First Amendment that one might title, Oh, you made people feel uncomfortable, so Mm. your First Amendment rights are out the window. We'll tackle those questions, and we'll play America's favorite game show at the end of the podcast, Guess the Verdict, where I give the real live facts uh, of a case to Connor, and he guesses the outcome. Today, Connor, it's the case of the wife who uh, never really loved her husband. A thorny legal problem. Tragic! Yes. All right, question number one, then. When are internet platforms liable for bad speech. Coming up very soon, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear oral argument uh, on uh, a case where the family of a woman killed in a uh, 2015 ISIS attack says YouTube is to blame. Now, Google owns YouTube, so she sued Google. uh, And uh, they claim, or the family claims, that uh, Google knowingly allowed hundreds of radicalizing videos to be posted and that YouTube uh, just uh, recommended ISIS videos to users. So Google's position is, hey, we're, we're all set under the law. When the internet was really young back in the 90s, Congress passed a law uh, that contained something called Section 230. And 230 shields web companies and social media companies from legal liability for content posted by users. And it's, you know, the old idea, the messenger shouldn't be blamed. So this is, yeah, this is a a very famous uh, concept in law that you see, or a very common concept in law. It's called a safe harbor provision. And it's a safe harbor provision of Section 230 in the 1996 Communications Decency Act that Congress passed. What a nice, what a nice name for an act. I love that name. Everybody loves communications decency. Nobody wants indecent communications, (laughs) right? Absolutely, right? Well, that's how you, I guess, buy indecent people. Sure. Uh, Yeah. Uh, That's how you get consensus on your law is that you name it something fun. But in this case, you have a safe harbor provision that says, uh, okay, 
if you do something wrong, you have a way to backtrack it. You're going to be okay for a little while. Right. You've got a, a a ticking time bomb of an error, but you have a chance to fix it. And with in this context, with uh, internet platforms, that's about somebody posts a, a an ISIS video, pro-ISIS recruitment video, uh, or other objectionable content that shouldn't be on your platform, whatever your platform is and whatever your content rules are and whatever the law is. And then you've got a period of time to to review that content, take it down, age restrict it, limit the number of users uh, it's going to, or whatever else. And there are other creative solutions that people have come up to come up with uh, to you know about what that safe harbor harbor uh, should say. But all in all, the 1996 law is not exactly ready for the internet age. 1996, the internet existed. Right. I mean, barely. <laughs> right. It, you had a web page in and, you know, companies, some companies, some only some had web pages. Um, but then, you know, what did those web pages look like? Well, they were pretty much like a poster that that company put up on the wall that anybody could come by and view. And it makes a lot of sense to say companies control the contents of their publicly visible poster in the same way that if you put up a billboard with some objectionable lewd content, it's very easy to say, hey, company that put up a billboard, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. you can't put naked boobs on a billboard right. or whatever because we've got de- communications decency left. Cover them up and it's fine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They can they can be they can be pretty loose. I mean, Lily on those telephone commercials, she's covered up, so that's fine. Right. So the uh, the the question in this uh, uh, in this act, or, or sorry, the question that people are putting to government officials is, why haven't we updated this Communications Decency Act to deal with the reality of things like YouTube? YouTube, this lawsuit that is going in front of the Supreme Court, really brings this into to harsh relief. Uh, this woman is saying, you put this, you allowed this content to remain on your platform, and worse. You recommended it mm-hmm. to people. Oh, we get into this whole issue of what is recommending things to people. Well, we've got algorithms on YouTube that say some people have liked this video. Some people have viewed this video. They watched half the video. They watched the whole video. They watched videos like it. And they they create a, a basically a black box of a recommendation algorithm that says, well, if this video is getting traction, other users might want to see it. And when that's a hilarious video of a cat falling into a <laughs> sink and getting splashed with water and then yowling or whatever it right. is that, you know, uh, it goes viral these days. That's a great system because people who watched other cat videos probably want to watch this video. Yep. And even people who haven't watched other cat videos should, you know, be watching the most the, the the hottest topics of the day, whatever goes most viral. And if there's anything that indicates that you're in the target demographic for cat videos, like say you have, you know, clicked on ads that relate to cats or funny cat videos before, or you have... Uh, you fall into a certain age range or a demographic that enjoys cat videos a lot, you'll get recommended this. But YouTube's not out there. They're not, they don't have individual people out there saying, this is a funny cat video, let's push it to lots of people. Nor do they have people out there saying, this is a tragic, horrifying ISIS recruitment video, Mm -hmm. let's push it to other people. The lawsuit just says, you created algorithms that create this byproduct. You put this video in front of my face and others' faces by accident, but really uh, to make money. Yeah. So you got to be more careful. So, you know, the good news for Google is they actually won their case when uh, the family uh, of the woman who was killed, when they sued, uh, they won their case in the trial court. Then it went up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Google won again. But 
Supreme Court of the U.S. took it up, and that suggests uh, maybe they want to weigh in. They want to take a different approach because Google has been relying on this sort of antiquated '90s era approach of, oh well, you know, the platforms should not be liable. Uh, it's funny you mentioned, you know, the the birth of the internet. I remember seeing a clip, I think it was on YouTube recently, uh, of, of the Today Show. Mm-hmm. It was about 1993, and Bryant Gumble and Katie Couric, I think, were sure. the co-hosts of the, the Today Show then. Okay, and the clip has Bryant Gumble saying to Katie, "Hey, K- Katie, what's this uh, this internet thing I I, I hear about?" And she, and it's not a <laughs> it's gag. Such I mean, a good video. Yeah, and she says like, "Oh yeah, inter interweb or you know." She they're both totally clueless. And now, of course, we look back and it's like you know they're cavemen talking yeah, about what's this wheel yeah. that somebody inter- invented. So the, the the interesting thing to me though is that this legal issue, Connor, is really kind of morphed into, of course, in our partisan era, a political issue right. because. You know, the, the Democrats in general are, are saying, let's change this Section 230 immunity to force uh, companies to censor more bad stuff. Yeah. The Republicans are worried that the web companies are liberal, progressive, high-tech S- Silicon Valley folks who want to censor right-wing cons- – and, the, of course, the classic example is the Hunter Biden laptop story. The, the conservatives are convinced that, in fact – the media simply suppressed the idea that this was really Hunter Biden's laptop and so on. So the GOP wants less left-wing censorship. So, I mean, it seems to me free speech questions like this should be resolved on legal grounds, not political, but who knows what's going to happen with the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, it, we see that these platforms have begun become intensely political and I- incredibly powerful avenues. I mean, Black Lives Matter spread on social media Right. The Arab Spring protests were a result of people talking on social media. And one of the biggest sort of changes in the way the world works spread across these social media platforms. And they're driven by algorithms where actors, you know, individual humans out there in the world know this is how I go viral. This is how I get attention to my cause. This is how I, you know, raise money for if I fall. You, you ancient internet historians like like <laughs> I uh, remember the the ALS ice bucket challenge where they raised you yes. know hundreds of millions or whatever billions maybe I don't even know dollars for uh, ALS research disease yeah, yeah. This, if you're a lo- if you allow somebody to dump a, an ice bucket over you right exactly and then people like and share the video and it goes it goes viral it gets really big people use these videos for that purpose yeah. and the the internet companies are out there trumpeting this and, and pounding their chest and saying look we changed the world for the better we allow people connect people to each other. Um, um, and people are generally good, and you know when they connect together, they're generally good. And guess what? Even if that's the case, guys, even if you're that's the case, Google and and Facebook and and the rest of these companies that run our lives, uh, if ninety five percent of the people out there are good, or ninety eight percent even, uh, and they all connect to each other and they all do good when they come together, uh, what about the last five percent or the last two mm-hmm. percent? What are you doing to prevent, for example, social media? allowing bad actors to connect to one another, and when they do connect to one another, allowing them to radicalize one another and make the situation worse, to spread disinformation, which is a massive problem on these platforms, where small numbers of bad actors, really, really small, sometimes like double-digit small numbers of bad actors, can control entire networks of millions of people's eyeballs and ears as they watch this misinformation content. And you end up with, for example, 
I don't know, the Capitol riots? I mean, who's responsible when that happens? I mean, in the, the recent Twitter hearings, we heard a, uh, uh, a, a, an ex- a high up executive at Twitter who was talking about how um, when the uh, you know, massive international problems happen, um, and there are people are talking about it on social media. The directive she got uh, about uh, when when Donald Trump uh, assassinated an Iranian general, her uh, higher up at, uh, at uh, the CEO at Twitter said to her, she was the like the director of some whole department at, at Twitter. He said to her, "All that matters is that it is now your job to prevent World War III from starting mm. on our platform." World War III cannot start on Twitter. If it starts out there in the world, okay. But you have the power Not and you are watch. obligated to stop it from happening on Twitter. So do what you need in terms of content moderation to stop World War III from starting. And she's now testifying in Congress going, no company should have that power, right? No company should have that responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. That is not what tech companies should be doing with their time. They should be making stupid widget gadgets that we all are amazed about on our phones or creating uh, self-driving cars that crash into each other and burn like <laughs> <laughs> like Tesla's or whatever. I mean, they don't, uh, they don't, and shouldn't rather have this sort of responsibility. It's a massive problem. Well, Seneca, Silicon Valley is kind of nervous because there's some speculation uh, that maybe Clarence Thomas is going to be driving the bus on this uh, internet. That would case. not be good. And he has, in past opinions, suggested he would like to limit this immunity, this Section 230 protection for for the platforms. And uh, of course, maybe he'll be forced to recuse himself because I understand Ginny Thomas likes to surf the web. Yeah. And I think that's a, a close enough connection to make, to make connection. Clarence Thomas good point. back off. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, topic two, we are going to get into the question of whether there's an exception to the First Amendment titled, uh, oh, uh, you made people feel uncomfortable, so you've lost your free It's an all-First Amendment appointment. Rights. I mean, uh, episode. <laughs> exactly right. All right, we, uh, we'll do that, but only after Connor tells you how to rate and subscribe to Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on the podcast platform you used to get this very episode and realize, oh my gosh, I love this show with these two annoying lawyers who yell at each other and have strong opinions. Uh, that's my favorite kind of content, and I want to get it pushed to my inbox every single week week. So I'm going to hit the subscribe or the join or the like button or whatever else. And I might even hit the share button to let other people know uh, how good this cool new podcast is that I found. And they'll be all impressed and they'll say, oh my gosh, isn't it great that uh, I, random person, am am now uh, as part of the Too Many Lawyers family. Because it is a family show. So hit that subscribe, that like, and leave us a comment. Uh, We love uh, reading every single one. Are we a dysfunctional family though? I mean... Aren't most families dysfunctional? It's 2023. Just about all. If you're not dysfunctional, except for the Bush family. Sure, yeah. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oak. And I'm Connor Oak. So topic two, is there an exception to the First Amendment titled, Oh, You Made People Feel Uncomfortable? The story, Connor, it was inspired by a very recent uh, news event. Uh, a young man goes to the Mall of America in Minnesota. Sure. To buy a bunch of stuff. There's why? still a mall in America? Well, I thought they were all gone. Why he didn't just go on to Amazon? Uh, yeah, exactly. But, you know, they're they're going to have liability issues. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the Mall of America, and he's wearing a Jesus Saves t-shirt. And a sure. couple of security guards go up to him and say, Oh, sir, uh, we, think, we know you have so many options for your entertainment dollar. So gratefully you came to the Mall of America, but you have to take that shirt off because Mm. it's making... First of all, the security guard, I had no idea security guards were so sophisticated in their analysis here. They pointed out to the young man, you know, Jesus is associated with religion. Okay. Astute. And it's offending people, they said. Right. And he actually got a ticket for trespassing slash solicitation because the mall prohibits picketing, demonstrations, soliciting, protesting, or petitioning. So uh, it raised the question, you know, where can you go to express opinions? Uh, Solicitation bans are legal in California. Uh, An ordinance in L.A., for example, back in the 90s, banned a solicitation at airports, and it was really aimed at the Hare Krishnas. Uh, The ACLU uh, and the Hare Krishna group sued. They won an injunction in federal court against uh, a law that said, hey, you know, Hare Krishnas uh, are, are banned. Uh, but the Ninth Circuit said, hey, you know, this is state law, so let's check in with the California Supreme Court. And when there's a thorny, unsettled state law issue yeah. and you're in federal court, federal court judges have a right to say, hey, let's consult the California Supreme Court. And sure enough, California Supreme Court said, sure, we'll help you out. Uh, this regulation is fine. Panhandling is more intrusive than leafleting or other types of communication. And uh, the justice of the California Supreme Court, Carlos Moreno, wrote, travelers are in a hurry, airports are crowded, the Hare Krishna folks have other ways to convey their message. They can hand out literature. They can talk with willing travelers. They can even ask for financial support as long as it isn't a request for immediate exchange of funds. And Connor, what it boiled down to before the court was the issue of, you know, what is an airport? Is it a public forum? Like, you know, the park where you stand on a soapbox? Uh, If it is, First Amendment absolutely allows solicitation, but their answer is no, because the main purpose of the airport is to facilitate airline travel, uh, and as a result, these bans are appropriate. The Supreme Court has agreed in general bans on airport leafleting. They are, uh, they're okay. You can't ask for money. So really the question is, you know, is this honoring the First Amendment by imposing these restrictions uh, you know, saying a guy can't wear a religious T-shirt or yeah. the Hare Krishna folks can't point to their saffron robes and say, right. hey, I need a new robe. How about some money? Yeah. We have a very complicated, multi-layered system of regulating free speech or upholding people's you know, citizens' right to free speech in this country. Primarily, those two layers are the federal and the state levels. But it's really just overall super complicated and fact-specific. We have uh, in First Amendment jurisprudence generally at the, at the federal level, they have this concept of time, place, and manner restrictions. The idea that um, if you have a, uh, a content-neutral regulation, you have a law in place that says you can't protest at 3 in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. That is on its face – content neutral. It doesn't say leftists can't uh, can't protest at three in the morning or students can't protest at three in the morning uh, or uh, Hare Krishnas can't, uh, you know, solicit at three in the morning. It just says you, people can't, regardless of their message, right? That's mm-hmm. why uh, the the law might be okay under the federal uh, uh, 
system of the th- big three points that came out of this case in 1989 called Ward v. Rock Against Racism, which is a great uh, great name for <laughs> a, a tight case. Best right? case name ever. Yeah, they said uh, the, the regulation must be content neutral. The law has to, say, has to not care about whether you're protesting for or against war, right? That's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second uh, is that the, the law must be narrowly tailored. Uh-oh, we start to get wiggly already, even on the second point here. Uh, narrowly tailored to serve a significant government interest, right? So the law is there to serve a government interest, right? If you have a law that says you can't protest on the courthouse steps uh, because the courthouse is constantly clogged and blocked and people can't get into the courtrooms mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, participate in uh, the civic, do their civic duty of jury duty or whatever else, um, that might be a narrowly tailored government interest, right? And then the third um, is that the law must leave open ample alternative channels to let people have that, uh, get that same message they out They love there. their three-part tests. Oh don't my they? God, do judges love three-part tests? <laughs> and they love to pretend that they, by creating a three-part test with just cool, three cool ideas that they came up with, as though that exhaustively deals with every possibility that could ever come up in a, in a, a legal con, uh, uh, situation. I mean, judges are human bur- people, right? They're, 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 they have but one human brain each, and they've got a couple of clerks who have human brains each, and they all come together and then they talk to the other judges and they come up with generally pretty smart, you know, outcomes on a lot of these cases. And it makes sense, but they absolutely fall prey to this. That's exactly what, as you identify, this sort of easy answer to, well, we'll just come up with a three-part test and it'll solve all of our mm-hmm. problems. And we'll say, well, as long as it's narrowly tailored to serve a significant government interest. Well, uh, unlike when I go to the the tailor uh, and and get a, a suit made, um, and they they say, "Would you like a narrow tailoring?" and that is a very specific meaning of, of you know this many inches or whatever around the shoulders or waist or whatever. Narrowly tailored is not defined. There's no answer right. for what narrowly tailored means. You have to go into court uh, and then the and then a, so the it's a general court. guideline, and you try to feed the facts of the case into it. Right. So uh, there, there's a uh, there's a famous case in the '80s before Ward v. Rock against racism that I don't remember the, the specifics. Of, but it was a bunch of students protesting at a mall, and it eventually did inf- end up in front of the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, uh, we're going to shoot down the mall's uh, argument that just because, you know, they're private property and they should be able to you know, conduct their business and they should be able to regulate speech that's happening there, uh, we don't want you to start acting like governments, right? So that's kind of the big picture. If you zoom out way, way out and you stop talking about the nitty-gritty uh, basics of these cases where we're, we're getting into legal tests and such, the question is, to what degree do we want these businesses that control a, you know, plots of land like a mall uh, to control the types of speech that is done on those uh, gathering places? From mm-hmm. when you when you open a public, you know, a forum to the public, like an airport, it might be for private profit. You might be American Airlines is really the one at the end of the day that through intermediaries and, and other companies, American Airlines is the one making money off of this, right? And that the, the, put put a pin in that. Put a pin in making money off of this, right? Because we'll get back to that and it, it, it ends up a- answering a lot of questions at the end of the day. But when you open your, your, your mall or your LAX or whatever else to the world and you start saying – uh, you know, you people come all ye unwashed masses and get on my planes <laughs> and smell real bad next to Connor every time he gets on a flight. Um, 
you are, you know, t- taking on a certain amount of responsibility to allow people to act freely in those areas because mm-hmm. uh, we don't want to live in a, a, a company town that is run entirely by a corporation that gets to act like a government but doesn't have to have the uh, restrictions or uh, limitations uh, that our, you know, Bill of Rights says the government shall do, uh, not shall not do, or shall do all these things. If, you're, if your corporation is big and powerful enough in a certain context, then you ought to be regulated in a similar way. You it's have like living in Potterville and it's a wonderful life. Exactly. Where the the old rich old guy at the top controls everything, right? The, this, uh, the, the company Town Case is another one where they had a, a very famous uh, labor movement that went, uh, that was making, you know, doing protests uh, against the company that owned the company town where, you know, the, uh, this company store, you buy all your food with company script uh, that you get paid in and you, you can't really leave because your money isn't good anywhere else, right? That's the <laughs> danger. That's a, a real risk. And we hate those and we've kind of outlawed them as much as possible. They're coming back now. It's real bad, Amazon. It's real bad. <laughs> but not the point. Um, the, 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 the question of when do these uh, big corporations start to be so big and powerful that they kind of act like the government and they have to submit to restrictions like the government? Well, in the LAX style, you know, giant airport with Hare Krishna's uh, soliciting, it, you can tell just on its face the law ended up saying the difference is are you doing it for money mm-hmm. now? Are you soliciting people to hand you a a $10 bill? And if they do so, will you be satisfied? Or are you soliciting them because you care deeply about a political message? And those are very different things. And they, they, you know, are are worried, of course, that their platform, whether it be internet, Facebook, whatever, uh, or their their physical plot of land, uh, you know, LAX or the Mall of America, will be overrun with, with people, grifters probably, trying to make a quick buck by tugging people's heartstrings or pressuring them and making them uncomfortable and then they drive them away and then they hurt the businesses as opposed to somebody who's out there for the, you know, speaking from their heart saying, you know, uh, stop the war or whatever. And that's a very different thing than here, give me money. And, you know, the money angle, even if you take that out, this has been a thorny issue for a long time and the debate kind of got started back in the 70s. And Connor, you remember there was uh, the F the draft case. I'm glad that you censored that because if if the our dear listeners had been offended by the real T-shirt, oh, yeah. you, you, exactly. they never have listened to the pot again. You, you don't want to hurt feelings. Yeah. So what happened there was this young man goes to court one day, and he's wearing a T-shirt, and it says F the draft, and it's spelled out. And this is, of course, at the height of the Vietnam War in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, the clerk, the bailiff, you know, points a gun at him or whatever <laughs> and says, sir, you, you have to take that shirt yeah. off. Yeah, get went, naked, sir. Went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Nice. And Melville Nimmer argued for the young guy. Now, Melville Nimmer was the father of copyright law at law school uh, at UCLA. I took copyright from him, and he wow. was just a legendary guy. He took the case. And the fun fact was that Chief Justice Warren Burger, who's a very conservative, straight-legged, as Donald Trump would say, straight out of central casting Supreme Court Chief Justice, right. he made it clear to the lawyers as they started the oral argument without saying, don't you dare say the word. He said, uh, gentlemen, we're very familiar with the facts, and so you don't have to get into detail. Love it. And everybody knew that he didn't want Melville Nimmer to say the word in right. the hallowed halls right, of the U.S. Right, Supreme right. Court. Melville Nimmer knew that if he held back and didn't say the word, it would be supporting the other side's position that, oh, this is a horrible, explosive, radioactive word. This man should be sent to prison for wearing a T-shirt. Point. And so the first thing out of his mouth, he starts dropping the F-bomb in the Supreme <laughs> Court. And they got the paddles out and they resuscitated poor Chief Justice it. Warren Burger. Bottom it. line is the Supreme Court voted for the guy, Justice Harlan's opinion said one man's vulgarity is another man's 
lyric. They said True. the people who saw the shirt, it's not a captive audience. They could look away. Yeah. There's nothing prurient or erotic about the F word in that context. Disagree. Hope, hopefully. No, I would <laughs> F the draft. <laughs> yeah, and they weren't fighting words. It wasn't like they were going to, people in the gallery are going to start going after folks with torches and pitchforks. So anyway, that was a victory for free speech. On the other hand, the very, very, very famous case that, that I like so much uh, that uh, that uh, has, has been resuscitated in sort of legal discourse these days is a famous case out of an Alaska high school uh, where the Olympic torch was, was being, uh, you know, I don't know if Sarah Palin was present <laughs> it was before her time, uh, but this is uh, the Olympic torch being uh, being uh, jogged past a high school in Alaska. And uh, the high school tripped says, and it was extinguished by snow. <laughs> Sadly, no, that would have been funny. Um, this was even funnier. Uh, the uh, the high school says, okay, big deal. It's a, 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 we're going to let you all out of school early. It's going to be a half day. Nice. So you can all line the street outside the school, uh, and we can all cheer as the Olympic torch we'll the goes flame. by. And so some students put together a banner, and as the TV cameras are trained on the Olympic torch carrier, uh, and everyone's cheering, the kids unfurl the banner, and it says, Bong hits for Jesus. What does that mean? Great question. And the answer uh, to what does that mean, uh, one might, uh, you know, of course, jump to immediate questions of, well, uh, is it about... uh, Religion or drugs or both? Yeah. Is it a joke? Is it serious? Is this somebody expressing, you know, a a, a sincere belief? or are nihilism on display. Yeah. Are we just trying to get attention? What? And if you do just decide, oh, these kids are just trying to get attention, does that mean their political speech is worth less than other people's Mm -hmm. who might be, say, well, if you're out here trying to make money, uh, is that worth more or less than somebody who's trying to have a good time? Is that worth more or less than somebody who, in the context of this this case, by the way, I mean, very important uh, uh, to consider that Jesus is a very political topic, right? That is a political uh, figure, uh, and it might offend some people. It might, uh, you know, rally some people. It's, like you said, not fighting words or anything else. The other issue was that uh, these kids got suspended from school. They uh, uh, fight back and file a lawsuit and say this violates our our free speech rights. The government, school, high school, public high school, should not be restricting our free speech. And in addition to just generically, even if you had a control over our free speech while we were in school, we were not at a school event. We were across the street from the high school on the other Mm -hmm. side of the school, a street, and you had let us out of school. You said, half day, everybody. We're done here. We're ring the bells. Let's let's go. And the answer was at the at the trial court level, and then the appellate level, and then at the Cal- the, the U.S. Supreme Court level was. I'm so sorry, kids. We don't care about your rights. Kids in school don't have rights. They're not real people yet, basically. Uh, but not in so many words. The California Supreme Court said uh, there are reasonable restrictions on high schools. And in high schools, and this could be construed as a high school event, we're going to extrapolate that out and have the high school win on that front. And then secondly, well, we don't want to promote drug use. And regulating teenagers uh, in high schools who are uh, using their free speech to advocate for drug use, that is a a reasonable government interest we think is being served by this First Amendment. All right. So that leads to my rant, my pet peeve in terms of the First Amendment. It's all about the Westboro uh, Baptist Church people and the ridiculous decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. So here was the deal. Most folks probably remember it. There's this wacko, nutso group, Westboro Baptists, who are so anti-homosexuality that they think the U.S. government is soft on gays and we are going to protest. How do they protest? Oh, they wait for an American soldier to be killed overseas in action. Mm -hmm. 
His body is brought back and his funeral is going on. And they interrupt the funeral by screaming and yelling. Different F-bombs. Slurs against gays. Right. God hates, and then they insert the slur. They totally destroy the solemnity of yeah. the, the the funeral. Right. And we do nothing about it because the U.S. Supreme Court comes along and says, well, you know, the free speech is really important. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, is free speech that really important? If I really felt strongly about lowering taxes and I rented a sound truck and I drove it up and down residential streets at 3 a.m. at high volume saying, taxes are bad, I got your attention now, now you go back to sleep, I would be put in federal prison, okay? Yeah. But it's okay to interrupt the funeral for the poor guy who gave his life for— Yeah, I don't how really— How is that okay? I, I don't really re- see the difference between, you know, the sanctity of somebody's night's sleep, which is important, versus the sanctity of somebody's funeral, which is also important. I mean, these are both crucial— I think recognizing the, the, uh, the service of a deceased soldier is a little more important than getting a little extra shot eye, okay? I, mean, I think you're right. I think that the, this decision is probably, and this is a speculation on my part, but I think it's probably a result of the incredible and sometimes silly special status that re- religion gets in the, the United States culture. We have for, oh, didn't for Didn't decades. get respect in this case. Well, the, the Westboro Baptist Church's people's religion did. They had the right to practice their religion. Yeah, you're right. And the Supreme Court is afraid of infringing on that. They don't want to do it. They want to... They want to pretend and they want to keep the through line through all their cases. They don't really care about the individual case in this or else they would have come out with the darn right result, obviously. They just want to create the through line that religion and sincerely held religious beliefs are important and we will vindicate them even in extreme circumstances so that then employers can go off and say we don't have to cover reproductive health care for female employees because we're a sincerely held Christian business, which is completely maybe, ridiculous. Maybe that explains the uh, same-sex marriage uh, wedding cake uh, yeah, decision. Exactly. All right, when we come back, the finale, guess the verdict. Stick with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So guess the verdict, uh, the game show where you, Connor, get the facts of a real-life case, get to guess the outcome. Are you ready? I stress all week about this. This, yeah. is, the mo- this is the pinnacle of my way. Even if I'm going to trial at work, <laughs> this is more important. Do a little studying just to <laughs> kind of... Guess the verdict. All right, so we're, we're up in Berkeley, California. Okay. Uh, a man sues for divorce, uh, is sued uh, for divorce after uh, seven years of marriage. Uh, seven years is su- pretty good time. That's a pretty good long time. And, and the reason he sues is that what set him off is that during an argument with his wife, she told him, I never, ever found you sexually attractive, Ooh. even though she had repeatedly throughout the marriage made representations strongly suggesting that she found him sexually attractive. <laughs> So, in addition to the divorce, he sues her for fraud, seeking money, damages for the lie and the emotional distress that resulted from that. Now, I can tell you that at the first level, the jury gave him $245,000. Whoa! Now... She, the woman scorned, goes up to the Court of Appeal, 
What do you think, Connor, happened at the Court of Appeal to this massive jury verdict? Holy cow. So you get the guy suing, very unhappy because the wife admitted that she told him she never really found him attractive. So it was basically fraud. It's yeah. not just a garden variety divorce case. Uh, is this worth a quarter of a million dollars? What do so, you think? yeah. Um, so uh, this is an interesting one because uh, generally fraud can result in emotional distress uh, in the person who is defrauded in a practical sure. sense. Many people are put through emotional distress when they are defrauded. And courts have had mixed results. If I rack my brain and try to recall under time pressure of the Jeopardy ticking clock uh, here, um, thank you for not singing the song, um, <laughs> that uh, that courts have been mixed on whether, uh, you know, whether grandma um, can who is defrauded out of her life savings um, can bring an emotional distress claim against the fraudster. And unfortunately, in a lot of the situations where it's mixed uh, and, and jurisdictions disagree or even in a single jurisdiction, uh, judges and, and juries have come out different ways uh, and then appellate courts have come out different ways to confirm or, or upset those decisions, they're often really fact-specific. They're fact-driven, right? Mm -hmm. The individual cases where they're really egregious examples of fraud and grandma gets ripped off for every single cent she has and the guy spits uh, in her eye as he leaves the scene <laughs> of the crime, the fraud, um, those cases result in emotional distress uh, damages. And in cases where the fraud was not that bad, uh, then juries go look at this and go, well, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. And then appellate courts fall victim to the same uh, problem and they don't produce... Uh, good law coming out of that, and they say, "Oh well, as a result uh, of the the mild facts in this case, generally fraud should or should not result in uh, emotional distress damages." This is a really complicated case. In this case specifically, I think it's an easy case if you're going on the fact thing. Okay, guy, I'm sure she said some very hurtful things at a breakup, but anybody who's been through a breakup has heard some hurtful things probably, either intentionally or unintentionally. Not all of us can have perfectly amicable breakups every single time. Uh, and I don't know that that rises to the level of uh, emotional distress or should be uh, a recoverable cause of action. So if I'm the judge in this case and I'm making this decision, I'm saying, sorry, buddy, even if she says really bad things about you and your how she never liked your mom's cooking and everything else, uh, <laughs> I think you go down in flames in terms of getting emotional distress um, damages on top of your fraud. And then underlying, you've got the issue of, is it fraud? Is it fraud to lie to somebody? Well, generally, fraud as a concept is you have to have somebody who relied on you to their detriment in a way that you can, you know, monetar monetarily judge, right? And having chosen you as a partner based on representations that she found you attractive is probably not reasonable reliance on a lie such that you were monetarily damaged mm -hmm. because you'd have to argue that you were somehow monetarily damaged. Could you have gone out and found another better uh, match a uh, relationship that would have made you happier and or something. I mean, that's really the, hard the to prove. The evidence in court on that one could be embarrassing. Yeah, that's uh, certainly true. It's just really, really hard to prove so this stuff. I don't is, think that this guy succeeds. I think he goes down in flames. Absolutely right. You are correct. The Court of Appeal tossed it out. Yeah. And, and, you know, and this is a world, uh, this is a case where you could really highlight how there are too many gosh darn lawyers in this world because how the heck does this ever come to court? Well, there's another element. The courts traditionally, and they kind of made it clear in the opinion, are courts traditionally don't like to get mixed up in romantic matrimonial type. Yeah, Obviously, they have to resolve divorces, but to the extent it's really affairs of the heart, courts like to back off yeah. uh, in terms of 
breach of promise to marry and so on. Mm. You may remember um, there was a case involving Jennifer uh, Lopez and Ben Affleck when they were engaged some years ago, and he gave her a a monster ring, of course. And then they they break up. And then there was a question of, does she have to give the ring back? And in general, uh, the courts don't like to order that kind of thing, but the rules sort of evolved that, well... If you uh, receive the ring and you're the one that breaks it up, then you do actually have to hand the, the ring back. Wow. But, but just in general, yeah, courts, you know, they're fine splitting up the, the marriage or overseeing the divorce. But Sorry, J-Lo. Yeah. I don't know. You might not be able to afford another ring. All right. We solved some good problems today. Uh, we got our mandatory references to Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck in the, uh, in the show. We thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week on Too Many Lawyers. 